0: Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers and welcome to Bugle 4059 sub-episode A. We are having a week off this week in an effort to stop all global news from happening. And because I'm on tour and it's half term. And the heat death of the universe is only 5 billion years away, so what's the point? Instead, we have a sub-episode for you containing some classic Bugle Valentine's Day facts from the Bugle Fact Archives, the primary repository of historical veracity in the known world, plus some choice snippets from my recent satirist for Horror shows in Dublin on the 11th of February, and way back in the icy bleakness of January, Aldershot. Uh, well, Jose, we'll start with you, because since you're one of the two people to... <laughs> Actually, send in uh, in uh, in advance uh, a number of topics you sent. Um, uh, for the second time in a row, I've been out of the UK for a few days before your show at the Westie. All right, Columbus, don't flash it about, mate. <laughs> All travelled. Uh, I would like you to satirise this hotel breakfasts. Well, um, I mean, that was the idea when I started this show, was so people could have you know the big political issues of the world that are really affected <laughs> them deeply satirised. Um, so hotel. So have you? How, how long have you been away? Three nights. Was this work or holiday or... Holiday. Oh, holiday, right. And uh, hotel... Would they upset you, the hotel breakfast? Just bonkers in
1: their
0: variety. Uh, what, well, bonkers in their variety? Yes. Oh, right. And you want, what, just a single, standardised global breakfast? <laughs> is there not enough uncertainty in this world? Why must we have the division over whether we should have bacon and eggs or pancakes or whatever the Belgians eat? Or uh, Swiss with their f***ing muesli? What the f*** is muesli? It's gravel with dust. Um, LAUGHTER the concept of will delayed guilt. Sorry, people, will try people. Yes. Well, this is it. This is the buffet breakfast. Is a living metaphor for the pitfalls of unbridled capitalism. So, <laughs> so every time you go to a buffet breakfast, you are living out the dangers of a lack of regulation of the global financial markets. So remember that, because I, 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 I. mean, I've I've tried this myself. I have no dis- No, I have no buffet discipline. And you know, the number of times I've been sitting there. You know, looking at my fifth sausage and the three uneaten slices of black pudding on, on my plate. And I think, no, we really need to do something more to control the unregulated banking sector. Because, um, uh, I mean, I think uh, I mean, humans have no self-discipline at all. And we've seen this. I mean, I think fundamentally the way we've, you know, left the financial markets as unregulated, as a breakfast buffet. Uh, to me, that is like, uh, it was as short-sighted as a man getting a new Labrador... And training that Labrador to eat nothing but sausages and Scotch eggs, and then taking that Labrador with him on a nudist holiday, <laughs> it was at some point quite obviously going to come back to bite us. Uh, literally. Um, um, <laughs> family show. Um, so, uh, but oh, I mean, also, I mean, you worry about the health implications of this sort of unbridled um, breakfast consumerism? Uh, I mean, it is. Bacon and pickled fish. Uh, that is... that is. Sorry, it was Ic- I it in Iceland. In Iceland. Yeah, I mean, because the Scandinavians, they do go for... They go for p- pickled fish. Um, which I don't think is enough. By way of apology for what the Vikings did on these shores, it's not enough. It's too little. Too late. Um, other non-travel thoughts? Jose, you asked for... Oh, uh, social media bosses not using social media. Um, well, I guess it's the old saying, don't shit in your own lunchbox. Um, LAUGHTER And, uh, well, I mean, it's it's not just social... I mean, do you think Ronald McDonald actually eats the shit in his own restaurants? No, he has his own private chef, Ronald McDonald. Um, Custard pies, mostly. Um, (laughs) Occasionally, quiche with uh, cheese and egg (laughs) on top. Maybe a deep-pan pizza with mozzarella and celeriac foam. Basically, anything that can be smashed in the face, for comedic effect. Leopards never change their spots, and... uh, Clowns never change their trousers. That is a that is a horrific fact of life in the circus. Um, but also, I mean, people don't always live up to uh, you know what they claim to represent. Popes, for example, uh, not all popes have fully lived out the teachings of uh, of Jesus Christ. Um, and in particular, going way back in history, um, I mean, I'm not yeah I'm, I'm not going to you know, beat a, a drum against uh, against the Catholics here. I, I am uh, lapsed Jewish, um, as I said, as are indeed. All Catholics in a way
1: <laughs> um, I, mean, that's,
0: I think that's I think that's why i 'm so tolerant as a guy because I view all Christians and Muslims as lapsed Jews like me so I think there might be something in that uh, someone write that down um, <laughs> so um, uh, but the um, uh, the, uh, the the yeah the pope popes some amazing I mean some ter- if you're compiling your worst ever popes list some of them have done some incredible things uh, Pope John the twelfth really leading the way but other Alex uh, Alexander the sixth he had competitive fornicating competitions which were on Sky Sports Vatican at the time <laughs> Boniface the once slaughtered an entire town of six thousand people which is not the most popey behaviour you've ever seen is it. Uh, Benedict the, the Ninth, he sold off the papacy. Philip Hammond's kind of pope, I guess. <laughs> also renowned as the 11th century's gayest pope, which was a surprisingly hotly contested title. <laughs> um, also more of a fan of the massive orgy than uh, some of the more sexually demure popes we've had in recent times. Uh, or, and Pope Rabbi Yitzchel Schnack Skabitzkabitz. Um, <laughs> Very bad pope. He was appointed in 1979 due to a clerical error, and uh, stepped down immediately after walking onto into the Vatican on his first day and appearing on the balcony of St Peter's with an inflatable Moses, shouting, "So you losers have finally come to your senses after 2,000 years." <laughs> but John the Twelfth—I I mean, worst ever pope. You talk about uh, you know social media leaders, social media leaders being hypocrites. John the Twelfth ordained a deacon in a stable. Um, he, uh, well, I guess he's not that far away from giving birth in a manger, is it? Uh, I mean, Donald Trump before Christmas he said, uh, you know, the, 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 the nativity story shows you, know, what, what, uh, you know, what, what, what's important in life, you know, the value of family and, and, and love. And he said, No, Donald, the lesson from the nativity story is what happens if you cripplingly underfund public health care, <laughs> yeah. people give birth in a Farm. Um, there's a good joke in there somewhere, but it didn't come out tonight. <laughs> so, um, uh, John the Twelfth. Uh, he uh, well. He um, he slept with his sisters. He stole money and possessions from the church. He drank toasts to the devil. He castrated a cardinal. He used to invoke pagan gods whilst playing dice. He was quite keen as a hobby on maiming and mutilating his opponents, or uh, if you will, his pope opponents. Um, and he ended up being beaten to death with a hammer by a jealous husband whose wife, Pope John, was uh, in the process of popa doping in a most <laughs> unpopesome manner. And uh, one assumes that as he was hammered to death by this, the last thought that went through his head was. Yeah, I did kind of have this coming. I did kind of have this coming. Charles Hume was going through Colonel Gaddafi's mind as well at the time. On average, on aggregate, I reckon I'm still ahead. I'm just going to relax and try and make the best of it. Uh, he was made pope at sixteen. Interesting, John the Twelfth. Um, I guess if you're good enough, you're old enough. But it, it is a risk having a sixteen-year-old pope. Um, uh, but it didn't uh, didn't really work out. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the he got some real stinging criticism from some of the uh, contemporary. Uh, monk commentators um, in fact there's this, uh, this is one manuscript from a, a monk at the time one of the fam- most prominent monk pundits um, from the Pope of the Day programme um, uh, Alan Shirerius um, just said at the end of uh, Pope John the XII's uh, reign he'll be disappointed with that when you're Pope you've simply got to do better
1: so, <laughs>
0: uh, an interval shortly. I'll just uh, run through a couple of the ones that were emailed in Shortly before the start of the show, uh, Susie Vermilio. Hi. Hello, Susie. Uh, thanks for this. If I pronounce your name right. Yeah. So, I are mean, married into it, How nice. Oh, you married into it, so it's not your business, correct? Okay. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really have fixed views on whether in the 21st century you know, women should take their husbands' names or vice versa. But I think if you are going to do it, at least learn how to pronounce four <laughs> syllables. <laughs> It's a kind of dangerous middle ground you're in there. Um, Please satirise the fact that Trump's Trump's statement that he hopes, quote, all sharks die, uh, has led to a flood of donations in his name to conservation charities. (laughs) This is just wonderful with a smiling emoji. Is that an emoji? Or an emojis? Is it emojis singular? I don't know. Um, so I'm a bit out of the loop. Um, but I, I mean, I think this is, again, everything with Trump is twisted against him. All, you know, he said he hopes all sharks die. I mean, that's just realism, isn't it? That is just, I mean, that is a Christian man hoping that we do not discover an immortal shark who turns out to be the real Messiah. <laughs> so he hopes, because he wants to cling to the idea of a human Messiah. But, I mean, no one wants a shark savior. I mean, what kind of. Standards of behaviour would that set. You know, just an animal that consumes everything in its path with no regard for the welfare... Actually, that's Trump's ideal messiah. Right, uh, Neil. There's you. Hello, Neil. Um, uh, The second of the two emails sent in before 7.30 today. Um, Glad you're coming back to the Westie. The best art centre in the world. In the world! Uh, I've checked, it's not... Sorry. Uh, how do how do you, how, do you uh, how how is it judged anyway? Because oh, you because 'cause I just checked the official rankings. It's not top. Top is the Montevideo Teatricalia des Artes e Comunitado Centrada uh, in Uruguay. Uh Followed by the entire city of Dubai, which is a, a living arts installation uh, of the folly of humanity. And the West End Centre is third. It's not bad. Not bad. It's done very well. But uh, in the world, I mean, uh, I mean you get the, obviously, you get the absolute cream of comedy here. Uh, clearly that goes, that goes, not like the O2, that overpriced piece of shit. Uh, I wouldn't see something at the O2. Who's uh, you, been to the O2 in London? Yeah, to see comedy? See, I went to see something there a couple of years ago. It was absolute shit. Not funny at all. Um, it was a show called Roger Federer versus Rafael Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd heard these two guys were really great, but they just hit these little yellow balls at each other. I don't know if it was like meta-comedy. It was like funny because it's not funny. I'll kind of, I, I, I blame the office for that. Um uh, <laughs> And it's very repetitious as well. Same thing over and no, over. That's Stuart Lee's fault, frankly. but a uh, uh, Bit of slapstick when the ball went into the net every now and again. But overall, bullshit. And the su- support act sitting in the uh, high chair. He was the best guy. At least he f- said something. Um, of course, of course that's nonsense. Federer and Nadal haven't played at the World Tour finals in London since 2011. But anyway, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that. That was Aldershot. Well, I hope, Buglers, that you had a truly sensational Valentine's Day last week and fell in love with as many people as humanly possible. Now it's time for some Valentine's Day facts, as brought to you in the past by us. Uh, So welcome to February. This is uh, the first February broadcast of the 2009 calendar year. February, of course, John, the newest month. Of the 12 current first-choice months uh, being used at the moment, uh, Roman king Numa Pompilius invented February and its close buddy January when he realised that the Romans were wasting the first 59 days of the year sitting around doing sweet Jemima crankshaft, waiting for March to begin. (laughs) Now, of course, being the last month to be discovered, uh, John, February had to make do with the very uh, last few remaining scrap days left over after the other months had had their fill, plus 12 days given to it by September, which until then had clocked in at a big, fat, distended 42 days more than a thousand years, February was roundly teased by all the other months until St. Valentine, the patron saint of hackneyed chat-up lines and clumsy passes, posted himself (laughs) anonymously to a nun, he fancied, on the 10th of February one year. Arriving by second-class post four days later, a hungry, cold and urine-soaked Valentine tumbled out of his cardboard and bubble wrap package onto the nun's floor and recited these lines. Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm a rhino in bed and I'll bet you are too. Love from (laughs) Guess Who? Before the nun smashed him over the head with a Bronze Virgin Mary trophy, she'd won the previous day as Miss Chased, 455. Valentine slumped to the floor, mumbled, I wouldn't mind breaking your habits. She clunked him again. He burbled, sister, sizzler more like. She booted him in the head with her size 9 Maudlin 3000 nun boots and he whispered, I love you so much I'm falling to bits. Now whip off your wimple and show me at which point she body slammed him while screaming, Hail Mary, full in your face. And Valentine died instantly but happily. Of course, the Big Sake was then commemorated by Valentine's Day, which, along with February's relaunch as the end of winter month, thrust it into the mainstream as a month where it has remained ever since. It's been month of the year on 14 occasions, most recently in 1935. There, a bit of background on February for you there. Well, that was from the mind of Andy (laughs) Zaltzman, father of two. I'm 34. (laughs) I'm 34, John, and to illustrate quite how suited I am to the responsibilities, the onerous responsibilities of fatherhoods. A couple of weeks ago, I bought a new shirt... For our uh, comedians' Tuesday football game, yeah. John, it's bright pink, and it's yeah. awarded to the person who does the worst miss of the day. <laughs> and I also ordered some big letters to go on the back, spelling out the word "loser." I'm a 34-year-old father of two and Oxford graduate. Where's it all gone wrong? Anyway, uh, week beginning February the second, uh, February the first, John. 60 years since the end of wartime clothes rationing in Britain, mm-hmm. and I think it's fair to say, John, that neither you nor I have no. fully you adjusted. Know. You wouldn't know. That's a pre-rationing levels yet. <laughs> It's Valentine's Day on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Valentine's Day on Sunday, uh, the 14th of February. Yep. And um, it's been marked by a very controversial story here, John, that has uh, mm-hmm. yet again torn Britain apart at its very <laughs> seams, in which uh, a primary school in Somerset has uh, banned pupils from sending Valentine's cards to each other to save them the, "quotes"
1: emotional trauma of being rejected. <laughs> oh dear so, i think it's a very bad move Andy. because it is important that children at the earliest possible age have their hearts trampled to the ground and their souls crushed <laughs> yeah it's character it. building Andy. sets them up for the real world they're about to enter they, they need to learn how to deal with the rejection because rejection john to me is the
0: beef mince in the bolognese of life without it it lacks depth and texture <laughs> And I think as a nation, we are bad at dealing with rejection. Ever since the Empire said, that's it, it's over, Britain, I've had enough. And Britain replied, I can change, just give me another chance. I I promise I won't
1: exploit you again.
0: You (laughs) f***ing ungrateful bitch.
1: I think the best Valentine's Day card I ever had, Andy, I think I was around nine years old. And there was a girl who gave me a card which wasn't so much... Affectionate, as it just—it had a, a ten-point breakdown. <laughs> Why do you not like me? And there was then ten-point argument, which is pretty advanced for a nine-year-old. To which yep. my only response would be, "I just don't see the point of you yet." I didn't even know yet at that point. I just thought I just don't get the point. <laughs> Where is she now? <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah. don't, I can't I actually can't even remember her name, Andy. Isn't that sad? Right. Well, if you're listening, <laughs> I tell—I <well>, <laughs> did, did. Email I, us. <laughs> Yeah. I, I tell you who I would like to know, is Andy. The first girl I ever loved... Right. ...was... I was five years old. Yeah. Sarah Constable. All oh, right. And I loved her because she had blue glasses, I remember, and very shiny black sandal shoes. Okay. And I thought both of those things were very cool. You shallow bastard. <laughs> I was ahead of my time in terms <laughs> of how vapid I was. <laughs> now, per- personally, Andy, I'm not a big fan of Valentine's Day, but even I wouldn't take it as far as Saudi Arabia, who on Thursday launched a nationwide crackdown on stores selling items that are either red or heart-shaped, or in any other way allude to Valentine's Day, which is banned there. <laughs> they've officially banned it. Red-coloured or heart-shaped items are, are legal, apparently, at other times of years, but as February 14th nears, they become completely contraband in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Boy, they, you know they never cease to surprise <laughs> with just how intolerant they are. Listen, I don't, like, I don't particularly like the day either, but uh, easy. <laughs> I think as is, this, this thing about rejection, uh, learning
0: to accept rejection is, is, is very important, John. And because, uh, you know, I, I, I've learned to deal with rejection. I got rejected uh, a number of times. I got rejected when I applied for a job to be a sub-editor for Potato yeah. Processing International Magazine <laughs> uh-huh. back in 1997. Yeah. I wasn't even good enough for that. I'm, but it made me think how, much, how, how differently my life could have turned out turned out if I'd got that job.
1: You'd have been great at it, you'd have been the best potato processing writer of all time. Yeah. I firmly believe that.
0: I just think by now, you know, I might have been able to move sideways and work on its sister publication, Potato Storage International, that was launched in 2004. Clearly, <laughs> please, these guys...
1: please tell me that isn't true. It's
0: is true. These guys are going places, John. <laughs> now, maybe then I'd have been looking at uh, one of the publishing house's other marquee titles, such as uh, Asia Pacific Baker <laughs> or European Baker. Who knows? <laughs> But by you've, now, cried, John,
1: you've cried wolf too many times Andy I the, don't believe these exist all
0: true. By now I could be the Randolph Hearst Of business to business trade Magazine Specialising in the starchy foods industry <laughs> But instead I had, had to settle for showbiz <laughs> Amongst my other rejections John yeah. An offer to do a free encore At the Comedy Store in Manchester December 2002 That was rejected pretty volubly
1: yeah, And unanimously A yeah.
0: uh, polite request to join the England cricket team uh, Rejected Fully costed plan to get my school to launch a nuclear weapons program rejected. Uh, apparently, the last chemistry teacher tried it, end up blowing half of Kent, and uh, a demand for uh, state immunity from prosecution in return for information about who killed the Queen Mother, rejected. <laughs> so I'm just, uh, all I'm saying, kids, is learn to live with it. <laughs> and now, it's Saint Valentine's Day fact box. Anonymity is a key plank of what Valentine's Day is all about. St Valentine, after whom the day is named, took this anonymity so far that nobody knows who the f*** he was, or where the f*** he was from, or even exactly when the f*** he lived. All that's known about him is that he's almost certainly dead by now, probably the victim of a martyrdom-related crime, uh, and that when he was alive he loved writing rhyming couplets inside folded over bits of card and eating pink food. Also, the traditional anonymity of Valentine's Day is why the perpetrators of the Valentine's Day Massacre were able to keep the identities a secret. If the massacre had happened on any other day of the year, legally, they'd have had to fess up. Also, there were many famous romances sparked into life on Valentine's Day. Uh, sultry screen sex siren sorceress Marilyn Monroe wooed ace playwright Arthur Miller with a Valentine's Day card containing a four-act play about the Salem witchcraft trials. Preface with the poem, If it was 1692, I'd put my witchy spell on you. <laughs> Miller later claimed the work as his own and called it The Crucible. Queen Victorian <laughs> Prince Albert got together when he organised a 21-canon salute to her in Morse code, spelling out the words, Hey Queenie, you've set my Teutonic heart a-buzzin'. Don't be put off just because I'm your first cousin. And Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, they hooked up on Valentine's Day 2002, when they were both stood up by blind dates at Jongleur's Comedy Club in Birmingham. Coincidentally, <laughs> oh, they'd both split up from their previous partners exactly one year before. Pitt left his then-girlfriend, the former Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, mm-hmm. after she received a car that he thought might have been from Yasser Arafat, whilst Jolie dumped her beau, the 1979 world snooker champion Terry Griffiths, <laughs> after he insisted on practising his break-off shots rather than going out for a romantic dinner. And famously and disastrously mythological Greek king Oedipus and his mummy got together on Valentine's Day. After she sent him a jokey Valentine's Day card as a nice maternal gesture in case he didn't get any from the girls in his school. (laughs) He took it just a little bit too seriously. (laughs) And some bugle Valentine's Day tips, including how best to broach the subjects. Whilst guaranteeing the level of anonymity that guarantees your intended love will remain completely unaware. Well, the best way is to infiltrate your local radio station as a newsreader and deliver a bulletin in which the first letter of each word, when written out, spells out John Keats' hit platinum-selling love poem Bright Star, Would I Were Steadfast As Thou Art. (laughs) Alternatively, get your best friend, on whom you know your valentine has a long-standing crush, to write the card for you, obviously in their own handwriting, and sign it with their own name. That way, your would-be love will have no idea that it is actually from you. And also, (laughs) never deliver a valentine's message at gunpoint. Back to Satirist for High Now, and we're going to pop across the Irish Sea to the wonderful city of Dublin. So, um... Tibbs Ashton, are you here? Hello. You also asked about uh, Nigel Farage, and, um... uh, Well, his proposal that Ireland should rejoin the Commonwealth. Um... (laughs) uh, who's in favour of that? (laughs) The Old Buddies Club! I think sport is the closest we ever get to apologising for some of the, what might be described as procedural glitches <laughs> of our imperial age. Um, uh, and cri- Sorry? cricket... Sorry? Well, totally well, cricket is, yes. In fact, um, well, the, the famously, you know, that's the closest uh, we've ever got. Because we've never fully apologised um, uh, here, have we? I mean, I, I think the Queen used the word regrettable. Uh, about some of the more excessively enthusiastic British um, actions. Uh, If I uh, may have got my uh, subscription to the British Euphemism Society. Um, um, uh, Regrettable. They were regrettable, which means that they... We haven't actually regretted them yet, but we know that there is the potential to regret them. That is a step forward. Baby steps. Baby steps. But the closest we ever get is letting other countries beat us at sports. Sports that we invented. Cricket, in particular. Bangalore, 2011. The Irish... uh, The Ireland cricket team beat... Beat the England cricket team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Led by... Led by Kevin O'Brien, who had dyed his hair pink for the occasional... So we were beaten in a cricket match. A, by Ireland, and B, by a guy with pink hair. That truly felt like the end of English civilization I mean, that was (laughs) the absolute lowest point. Um... But, and clearly we could have won that game, we, uh, we, uh, we had you guys on the rack, but no, we thought of the broader picture, the conciliation between our nations, and we let you win. So that's it. And sport is about joy, that's what sport is all about joy, it's about bringing happiness to people, and we brought happiness to Irish people that day, we brought happiness to you know, billions of Indians, Australians, <laughs> back the work. we're very good at it really. Uh, anyway, on a sports note... Uh, the growing suggestion that Dublin should be split into into two counties for Gaelic football, <laughs> due due to their dominance, is this? I mean, who who are you? Are you fans of uh, of Gaelic football yeah. and uh, and hurling? Yeah, yeah? Um, we'll get onto this because the origin of sport. I'm fascinated by the origin of sports, and we'll get into your local your your. Uh, Irish sports as well. Trampolining, uh, that began, uh, the CIA invented it. you might know this as American. The CIA invented trampolining in the 1960s as a torture technique. Um, but it was a very liberated time in the 60s, and they were trying something different. They were trying for inverse torture, where you make people so relaxed and happy that they just splurt all their secrets out. Uh, but it didn't work, so they then switched to waterboarding, which conversely sounds fun, but but is not. <laughs> and, uh, it's an amazing number of things that sound fun, but aren't. For example, Ebola! <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and Chairman Mao's Little Red Book, which um, sounds like a delightful bedtime story for a child, doesn't it? Any parents out there, do not use it as a bedtime story for a child. Political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. <laughs> Sleep well, cupcakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the origin of, uh, of, uh, of trampolining. Uh, the origin of, um, well, hurling. Um, well, this goes back a long way. Do, you, do you, any of you know the origin of hurling? It's quite an interesting story. Yeah, the origin...
1: slightly more dangerous.
0: Uh, slightly more dangerous version of all... It's not that, actually. It's actually came after St. Patrick had uh, chased the snakes out of Ireland. He thought, what next? He thought, I'm going to hit the hedgehogs out of Ireland as well. <laughs> uh, just, oh. <laughs> 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 um, Patrick, we don't mind the hedgehogs. Oh, well, in that case, I'll focus on catapulting the pigeons into space. Look, well, it was really just the f***ing snakes, Patrick, but... Uh, <laughs> let me do my job! <laughs> I'm going to discus the tortoises into the Atlantic. No. Right. And, um... Who said comedy can't be educational? Now... Gaelic football, that goes back to the legendary Irish king... uh, I might have pronounced this wrong. Groir of... Of dumb gralocks. He defeated the Vikings at the Battle of Stragagagagaland by chopping off the head of Viking leader Eric the Shit. And, uh kicking it first over and then into the open mouth of a dragon. So... <laughs> um, um, so, um, So, is Dublin very dominant in, uh... in football? Yes. And, uh... And, I mean, so what do you... What, do you think something needs to be done about it to make it more... I mean, maybe you could just try selling all the clubs to Russian oil billionaires and, uh, <laughs> And dodgy oil magnates from the Gulf area, because that, that's what sport's really about, you know? It's, uh, that's when you think of all those Bangladeshi slave labourers in the UAE who are going to be watching Manchester City thinking, yes, that is my team, that is my... T-. Like all those oil workers in Siberia when Abramovich bought Chelsea thinking, at last, I have something to work for. Um, are you fans of, uh, of, uh, of football, soccer, soccer football? Yes, because um, uh, I, I, I like all sports uh, generally, but I, I get annoyed by players feigning injury in um, uh, in football. I'm, I guess that probably doesn't happen in hurling too much. Uh, players have been known to be decapitated and play on, and they just like hold their head in one hand. But. Um, um, and uh, But in football, they, br- they, they, well they are learning from other sports, learning from rugby, bringing in, uh, bringing in video refs. I'm not sure that's going to work, because fundamentally, players often you have a player diving and being fouled simultaneously. And it's a huge waste of money. I think, rather than the video refs in football, they should just get a pagan priest to stand by the side of the pitch. And whenever there is a controversial decision, they turn to the priest, and the priest slays a goat, <laughs> slices it opens its guts, rips it open, and looks at the entrails of this dead goat and says... Yeah, that was offside. And I think we'd... (laughs) I think we'd respect that just as much, as long as you do it with confidence, and as long as there's consistency. That's what the fans want. Um, uh, Ryan Kennehan? Are you here? Uh, Thanks for this, uh, Ryan. Uh, Would you please satirise how everyone thinks their kid is a genius? Um, Well, (laughs) I mean, I know my kids are geniuses. so It's not not the same for me. Um, (laughs) But... um, but I have noticed, uh, travelling around uh, Ireland, there are quite a lot of statues of the ultimate's mother who thought their kid was so special. Um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> uh, well, that joke could have gone in a number of different ways. you <laughs> uh, Look, as I said, I'm Jewish, so that joke's fine. So uh, anyway. <laughs> and you also uh, uh ask I teach architecture.
1: Ooh.
0: <laughs> All right, Christopher don't flash it about, mate. Now um uh I could really do uh, use a few puns. Any chance of an architectural pun run? So Well. So uh, well, <laughs> I mean it's always a risk doing this not as the very last thing of a gig, but uh uh, I had a friend who was... Um, I had a friend who was an architect. Um, to, look, to people who do not listen to the Bugle, this bit will now be very confusing indeed. But I had this uh, friend who was an architect, and he won an award, and I had to go and collect it at a gala ceremony in the US. Um, he said, I'm going to invite all my favourite uh, former Democratic presidents, Jimmy, Bill, Barack. <laughs> and I said, why do you think the American people voted for, for Trump? And he said, simple, they got thick, got thick. <laughs> That's thick. Yeah, these are going to be architectural style. So strap in. Um, I said, sort I of think that's an oversimplification, mate. Anyway, we started discussing which historical figures he'd hypothetically like to invite to his dream fantasy award ceremony. He said, uh, Genghis Khan, Alaric the Visigoth, Ivan the Terrible, and Attila the Hun. Gosh, I replied, that is a brutal list. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, anyway, also uh, it wasn't just an architect. He set up a business uh, selling decorative fossils uh, and French water. He called it the Rock O Co. <laughs> um, anyway, well he was, uh, while I was at his, uh, at his house, uh, his phone went off, made his dog bark. There were lots of bow-ows. bow wows. Bow house? Bow house? Bow house? He said, I've got to take this. I said, Is it a booty call? And he said, Not exactly. It's my collie dog who lives with my animal film obsessed ex wife over the pond in the Big Apple. So, no, it's not a booty call. It's a New York Glassy call. <laughs> Ne- Does that work? Ne- Neo-classical, New York. Anyway, he spent a lot of time in America with his uh, celebrity friends. He told me he would once gone to a party with Simon and Garfunkel and had seen the latter in deep conversation with the 1988 Olympic 100-meter champion Florence Griffith-Joyner. Wow, I said. I had no I, I had no idea that Art New Flow, Art, art New Flow. <laughs> Anyway, right, just, just two more, two more. Right. So my, uh, my friend, he was uh, obsessed with the Old Testament. He designed an ark, uh, it was 14 stories high, his ark. He had different decks for all the different groups of, uh, of creatures to minimize the risk of predation. Um, he explained, I put the apex predators on deck A, right at the top, and you've got scavengers on deck C, for example, poultry on deck H. And I said, Where have you put the snakes? And he said, I hate those slithery bastards, uh, I want them out of the way, right at the bottom. On deck N? I said, no, there's no deck I, because it looked like deck 1, won't it? So, uh, so they're not on deck N. I said, ah, oh, deck O. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: um,
0: Nail the dismount. Anyway. But he also he had to work on a farm for a bit when business wasn't so good. So, but he had this almost supernatural intuition for when to bring in dried grass before the weather turned and it started pissing it down. He had an amazing rain-hay sense. Rain-hay rain sense? Rain hay sense? Right, that is it. APPLAUSE um, Well, that concludes this week's free bonus sub-bugle. Bugle, bugle. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to come to all of the remaining tours on my Satirist for Hire show and send in your emails to this at satiristforhire.com. The remaining shows are the 19th of February in Canterbury. That is alarmingly soon, or already in the past, depending on when you listen to this. Then the 26th of February in Newcastle, the 27th in Chorley, and the 3rd of March in Cambridge, finishing on the 4th of March in Bristol. Also, I'm doing a charity fundraising gig on the 1st of March in Brixton in London uh, in aid of refugees, who generally could do with a little bit of help. I will tweet details of that in the near future. And my show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in April is now on sale. Details on the internet. I will also be doing shows in Sydney, Auckland and Wellington. And don't forget the Radiotopia live tour of the East Coast of the USA begins on the 7th of May. Do come along to see a bugle stroke illusionist mashup featuring me and my sister Helen Zoltzman. Next week, we will have the best bits of the Bugle live show at the Leicester Square Theatre in London, featuring Nish Kumar and Alice Fraser. Until then, Buglers, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here.